Good evening, my friends, and welcome back to 62 Horror Movies with Josh Hitchens, that's me, where I'm your host for a creepy double feature every night in the month of October. Join me, won't you? My friends, it is October 25th, and it is seven days until the best night of the year, Halloween. I can't believe that we're close to this project being over. I'm getting a little misty-eyed thinking about it, because I'm having a really great time talking about some of my favorite horror movies and TV shows, and I hope you're enjoying listening to it. Tonight, October 25th, is Scary Storytime Night on 62 Horror Movies. Our first film that we're going to watch and talk about is Creepshow from 1982, which was written by Stephen King, directed by George A. Romero, and with makeup by Tom Savini. And if that doesn't sell you on the movie right off the bat, I don't know what to say. Um... And our second feature of the night is going to be Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark from 2019, the most recent uh, film that is on my list, and I look forward to talking about why. So, uh, Creepshow, as I said, is a movie that has a screenplay written by horror master Stephen King, uh, directed by George A. Romero, who, of course, directed the original Night of the Living Dead, great pedigree there, with makeup and special effects by Tom Savini, who has come up numerous times uh, in the course of this podcast, with good reason, because he's kind of the best. But Creepshow is a movie that is really a love letter both to anthology horror films, like the ones produced by Amicus Productions in the 60s and 70s, and also to EC Comics. And I think it is a, a legitimate argument that the EC Comics, Tales from the Crypt, The Vault of Horror, and The Haunt of Fear, really introduced the idea of the horror host um, and the idea of the anthology with different horror stories hosted by a creepy person and all the stories have a big twist at the end um, that sticks with you because EC Comics really was most active in the early 1950s and that predates the first horror host, which was Vampira, followed shortly after by Zachary. Uh, so I think that's a really cool thing to think about, that these comic books really inspired a whole other genre. And those are great comic books. Uh, Tales from the Crypt, of course, was hosted by the Crypt Keeper. There's also a great HBO series, uh, 
made uh, in the 80s and 90s uh, about that. Uh, the Vault of Horror comic was hosted by the Vault Keeper, and the Haunt of Fear was hosted by the Old Witch. So you have these three horror hosts in these three different comics um, bringing you into these really, really horrific stories, very graphically illustrated stories for the time. And uh, that actually caused a great wave of censorship, um, which led to EC Comics, which was created by William Gaines, praise to his name. Um, he created a whole legion of horror fans with those comics, including Stephen King, which is why he wrote this movie, and George A. Romero, which is why he directed this movie. And those comics, on a personal note, really influenced me as well. Because when I was a little kid, uh, growing up in the late 80s and early 90s, there was actually a series of paperback kind of novelizations of the most famous EC Comics stories that was put out. And I collected all of them, and they made a huge impression on me. I loved them, and later sought out the comics themselves. Um, and Amicus Productions, who made films that we talked about in a much earlier episode, um, they made anthology films, including Dr. Terror's House of Horrors and The House That Dripped Blood, which we talked about on the podcast. But the Amicus was also the first film studio that adapted stories from the 1950s EC Comics. Uh, they made Tales from the Crypt, the movie, and The Vault of Horror, the movie, both of which are great, both of which I wish I could have featured in this list, but I wanted to try and make it diverse in content. Um, but anyway, all that is to say is all that is why Creepshow exists, because Stephen King, who wrote this script, and George A. Romero, who directed it, and Tom Savini, who did the special effects and the design for it, wanted to recreate that horror comic experience. And they do such an incredible job. This is one of those few movies that I think really captures the comic book aesthetic in terms of the saturated lighting it uses in moments of horror, but they also include comic book sequences into the movie that are animated including the great opening credits. Like all anthology movies, Creepshow has a frame story, and that frame story is that there is a little boy who is reading a horror comic called Creepshow, hosted by the creep, fittingly enough. And his father finds his horror comics and is like, why are you reading this crap? And actually hits his kid, is very, very mean. And fun fact... Uh, that father is played by Tom Atkins, and as I've said several times, I said it just in the last episode, that if it's an 80s horror movie with Tom Atkins in it, you watch it, because it's going to be good, and Creepshow is good. One of the interesting things, though, is that the little boy that is in the frame story of Creepshow, appearing at the very beginning and the very end, is actually played by Stephen King's son, Joe Hill. Joe Hill is uh, 
what he is known as now, but he is, his real name is Joe Hill King, uh, but he has published many, many horror books, uh, really great ones under the name Joe Hill, um, and he's even co-written a book with his dad, Stephen King, really following in his father's footsteps, but he has a distinct voice all of his own, so I highly recommend you check out Joe Hill's books, and it's just really a delight that he is in Creepshow in 1982 as this little boy interested in the horror comics, which I relate to. So, I'm going to talk, there are five sequences, uh, five stories in Creepshow, and I'm going to talk about all of them one by one, just briefly. The first story that we see in Creepshow is called Father's Day, which honestly might be my favorite one. Uh, and the premise of Father's Day is that years ago there was a tyrannical father who wanted his Father's Day cake and... In a rage, after years of abuse, one of his daughters, the eccentric Bedelia, bludgeoned him to death with an ashtray. And then it was that his murder was covered up. And uh, Father's Day is set on a night many, on Father's Day many years later where the remaining family has gathered and they relate the story of uh, the father's death. And then there's crazy old Aunt Bedelia who always comes to visit her dad's grave on Father's Day. But much to crazy Bedelia's surprise, her father's maggot-ridden corpse rises out of the ground and says, It's Father's Day. I want my cake. And progresses to kill everyone. Really, I mean, what do you expect uh, him to do? Um, this special, I think, is super, super... This story, I think, is super, super fun. Uh, it's notable for having in its cast a very young Ed Harris. And it's the actor Ed Harris with hair. And I think it might be the only movie Ed Harris ever made where he's not bald. Um, so that's a weird thing to see. And he has a really fun, really bad, in the best way, 80s dance scene. <laughs> Which, you know, for a uh, for an actor with multiple Oscar nominations, it's just a delight to see Ed Harris in this movie doing what he does. Um, but Father's Day is great, has a really tremendous payoff. Next, we have The Lonesome Death of Geordie Verrill, uh, which was based on a Stephen... which was the only film in the movie uh, that is actually based on... Uh, actually, no, that's wrong. It's one of two uh, stories in Creepshow that's based on a Stephen King short story. Uh, it's based on the King short story called Weeds, and The Lonesome Death of Geordie Verrill really is, in a way, a riff on The Blob uh, from 1958, which we talked about very early on in this series, where a meteor lands, 
someone finds it and there's this liquid on, in the meteor that gets on their hands and then bad, bad things happen. Uh, and Jordy Verrill is played by Stephen King himself in his acting debut, uh, which he was very nervous to make, but he was like, he literally said, I figured I could play idiot. And he's honestly really terrific as Jordy Verrill in the second sequence of this film. Um, you really feel for him, and he's also super funny. Um, you know, part of that might have been due to the fact that during this period in his life, Stephen King was doing a lot of cocaine. Um, but he's really delightful in this movie, and the end of the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill, uh, it's aptly named because he, it does establish a great sort of pathos in the end where Jordy, after a lifetime of getting everything wrong, finally does something right, and I won't spoil what that is. The next story, the third one, is called Something to Tide You Over, and this one stars Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson, which is awesome. Um, this movie has a great cast. Leslie Nielsen was a ser very serious method actor uh, until he appeared in the 1980 movie Airplane, in which he became known as this as the go-to person for hilarious deadpan comedy performance, you know, with the naked gun, uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It, which is a fucking great movie. I don't care who says otherwise. Um, but Leslie Nielsen in Creepshow, it's one of the few dramatic roles that you see him in after post his airplane performance and he's really great as this man who realizes that his wife is cheating on him with Ted Danson which you know back in 1982 was totally understandable and relatable and he he uh, develops a very ingenious way of murdering both his wife and his wife's lover but as in all good horror things, the dead come back for their revenge. Following that, you have the story The Crate, uh, which is based on the story of the same name, written by Stephen King. Uh, this is actually the longest sequence, and for me, it's the one I like the least, and I'm in, it, I'm in a minority in that. It's a lot of people's favorite story. Um, but I think just, it, it goes on a little too long. Although the thing in the crate is terrific and scary as hell. Um, and the crate also has, as its main stars, again, great actors. Hal Holbrook as the husband. And then Adrian Barbeau, who we last talked about as the lead in John Carpenter's The Fog two years previously to this movie in 1980. Um, as his... Uh, abusive wife. Um, yeah, the crate. The crate's a lot of fun. It's it's a law. It's longer than I think it needs to be. But I think there's a lot of really great stuff in it. And then the final story in Creepshow is called "They're Creeping Up on You," which is the one that you will make your skin crawl for the rest of your life, because it's about a man who's this, you know 
very cruel, ruthless businessman who lives, who's terrified of germs and insects and all those things. And he lives in this, you know, hermetically sealed apartment that's all white. And then these cockroaches start coming in. And the cockroaches eventually become more and more numerous until they eat him alive. And then at the end, I'm just going to say it, at the end of the story, thousands of cockroaches explode out of his corpse. And, oh, it will make your skin crawl. Um, for this final story, they actually had 20,000 real cockroaches that they used uh, for this film. Uh, but uh, Tom Savini, the makeup and special effects artist, actually uh, said later on that a lot of the cockroaches you see are... Uh, raisins and other things that look like them, but there are a lot of uh, cockroaches that were real, um, which you can see when you watch it. And then we return back to our frame story with the boy Reed, who read the Creepshow horror comic, getting his revenge on his father on Halloween night. So Creepshow is a tremendously fun movie made by people who really loved their subject matter, masters of horror, um, all the folks who were involved in making this movie. It's a delight, and I highly recommend you seek it out. So watch Creepshow, and then we'll come back for our second feature of our night. So And this is the song written by Donovan in the 1960s, Season of the Witch, that plays during the opening credits of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, released in 2019. Uh, it is directed by Andre Ovredal, with a screenplay by, uh, screenplay by Dan Hageman and Kevin Hageman, with a story by Guillermo del Toro, who also produced this movie, uh, and Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. And this movie is, of course, based on the series of three books written by folklorist Alvin Schwartz, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Uh, like, I think, many people uh, who grew up in my generation... Those Scary Stories books by Alvin Schwartz did a huge, huge favor in introducing us to horror. And Alvin Schwartz, like I said, was a folklorist, and he collected these urban legends, all these tales from, all, from America and all over the world, and distilled them down to stories written for a young audience. 
And also, those books, for everyone who's watched them, were made immortal by the nightmare fuel that is the illustrations by the great, great artist Stephen Gamble. If you want to learn more about Alvin Schwartz and Stephen Gamble's work on the Scary Stories books, there's actually a docu a really great documentary made about them uh, that's just called Scary Stories, and it is available to stream on Amazon Prime Video, and I highly recommend you watch it. Uh, Alvin Schwartz is also notable for writing the book for very young uh, children in a dark, dark room and other scary stories, which I also read at a very young age, um, and contains the story, The Green Ribbon, which ends with the immortal line, and then Jenny's head fell off, and then there's an illustration where you see that, um, these books mean a lot to so many people. So when a movie finally appeared, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark in 2019, for the folks of my generation, people in their 30s and 40s who had grown up with these books, I think there was a huge expectation. Um, people wanted this R-rated, really horrific recreation of Stephen Gamble's illustrations, and that's not what this movie is. This is a PG-13 rated movie, but I think it is an incredible film that made a huge impact on me when I first watched it, and I think there's one reviewer of this film that I want to quote. It was uh, David Fear, wonderful name, coincidentally, uh, the film critic, one of the film critics for Rolling Stone, who in his review for this movie wrote, The pity is that scary stories to tell in the dark will mostly be seen by jaded genre completists and nostalgic 40-somethings, or or 30-somethings, I say, as a 35-year-old per person myself. Wrong demographic, David Fear writes. You owe it to your kids to take them to this. It's training wheels horror done right. And I think that is absolutely correct. Um, this is a movie that I think can be deeply enjoyed by people who grew up with the Scary Stories books as they were published. I am one of them. But it is also a movie that you should show to your age-appropriate children in your life to introduce them to horror and introduce them to this work. Because this movie really gets the heart of what made scary stories to tell in the dark work. Um, first of all, there are some really terrifying visuals and terrifying sequences in this film. I think they do a terrific job of making Stephen Gamble's nightmare fuel illustrations come to life in a movie. Um, especially the pale lady. Um, that one 
in particular, I think is really, really frightening. Like, she looks like she just walked out of the book and onto the screen. But I think one of the reasons why I love this movie is that it understands and makes a, this, the heart of its storyline the premise of why we tell these horror stories, why we pass along these horror stories throughout time, these urban legends. Something that comes up again and again in this film is the idea that stories hurt and stories heal. And I think Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark from 2019, I... I'm just going to say, I think better than any movie I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen a lot of fucking horror movies. But this movie understands more than any other I've ever watched the idea that sometimes we tell horror stories and we revel in horror stories because they are a way for us to process our own trauma. Um, I wrote a one-person show, an autobiographical one-person show called Ghost Stories, which is about the paranormal experiences I've had throughout my life, but that show is also about me processing the trauma that I have experienced and why storytelling matters. And this movie gets that. And I saw scary, scary stories to tell in the dark in theaters and during the ending credits, which incidentally feature a really wonderful cover of Season of the Witch by Lana Del Rey. I, I sobbed uncontrollably, like, for a while until the lights came up because I felt very seen by this movie, because I felt this movie really got why I do what I do, personally. It's why I'm doing this podcast this month, um, because for a lot of people, horror movies, horror stories are a way to express and process things that have happened to us. So, the film Scary Stories That Tell in the Dark is also, I think, one of the... deserves to be known as one of the great Halloween movies um, because it's set in Halloween in 1968. And I... Even though it's controversial amidst many people, I really love that choice because 1968 in the United States of America... Um, you know, you're dealing with the Vietnam War, you're dealing with immigration, you're dealing with racism and civil rights, and all of that is present in this film. Um, I don't think this film is always completely successful in the way it deals with those themes, but I appreciate deeply that it tries to go there, and more often than not, it's, it succeeds. Um, it's set in a small town uh, in Pennsylvania, and I also really appreciate how this movie deals with mental illness. Um, the asylum that the children go to visit uh, during the course of this film is obviously modeled on real 
mental institutions in Pennsylvania, like Pennhurst, like Byberry, um, very, very consciously. Uh, and yeah, I just really think this movie does a terrific job of weaving the human reality into horror stories and has some absolutely terrifying sequences. The, the Herald, the Scarecrow sequence in particular is really brutal um, and unpleasant. Um, like, this movie might be rated PG-13, but it's a hard PG-13, bordering on an R rating for the things it does. And I also appreciate that in this movie, the children die. Like, the children who die, they're not magically brought back at the end of this movie um, when we resolve the main haunting of the film in the local haunted house, which, like every small town and every great Halloween movie, makes a visit to the haunted house uh, to lay the ghost to rest. But uh, I love that the children aren't magically alive at the end, that the people who are killed in this movie, the young people, they stay dead. And at the end of the movie, there's a possibility that maybe there's a way to bring them back, letting in the way to a sequel, which is supposed to be made eventually, and I welcome it. But I really cannot say enough good things about this film. I don't think that people treated it fairly upon its release. I think it is really, really, really fucking scary and also really deeply emotionally resonant and respectful of the original source material. And I think Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark released in 2019, deserves to be in the canon of the great Halloween horror movies. And that's why I am talking about it on this podcast. And I highly recommend you seek it out. It is the perfect time of year to do so. So do that, and we'll come back and close out the night. My friends, thank you for joining me once again for 62 Horror Movies with Josh Hitchens. That's me. Tomorrow night, we're going to celebrate two movies from 1988. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and Waxwork. They're both really, really fun. Until then, my friends... Happy Halloween!